just an update. Um, we have heat in my house now, <laughs> which is nice. It's very nice. Um, we have been cold for two weeks, and then on Friday, the guy came out, and he, he put in whatever he was supposed to put in. Yeah, right in the back, yeah. And so um, that, was, that was that. Um, the holiday season is upon us. Can I have more light in the room? I can't see people's faces. Could be my old eyes, but yeah, there we go. I can see them now. Yeah, holiday season is upon us. Um, how many of you have finished your Christmas shopping? Okay, yes, you have. Amanda Seaford has. Have you finished your Christmas? How many people do you really buy for, Joey? Two, yeah, that doesn't count. Does he, has your wife finished her Christmas shopping? No, okay, great. So he's finished his, but you haven't finished yours, yeah. So that, that's good, yeah. So um, just don't get mad at Amanda Seaford for having hers done. Don't, don't get upset or, or critical or whatever, but she has hers done because she plans more than the rest of us in the room, right? Very good. So uh, next couple of weeks, um, I have a kind of a, a message from a guy, guy I like to call for this moment, Pastor Buffett, or in the French, it would be Buffet. And this is, this is what he has proclaimed here, here recently and in the past. He says, Santa stole Thanksgiving for Christmas, dragged Plymouth Rock to the North Pole with his sleigh. Pilgrims never saw him coming. That Thursday in November got gobbled up about December. Santa stole Thanksgiving for Christmas. So there's a big majority of you that really like Christmas songs that are playing them right now, or you would have laughed, right? Yeah, this is Jimmy Buffett. He's not really a pastor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what you're confused over. This is a great song, by the way. Um, it says, seems Santa sold Thanksgiving to the mall. Grandma made the stuffing, said Santa, he ain't bluffing. You better not cry in your pumpkin pie. Maybe Caroline says she lied. Santa sold Thanksgiving for Christmas. This is a great Thanksgiving song right here. Santa stole Thanksgiving for Christmas. Um, it's great. So, so keep that in mind. Thanksgiving has been stolen for Christmas. Say that to your neighbor. <laughs> and you can't do it. You just can't do it. Santa stole Thanksgiving. Okay, great. You will become the illustration for today. All right. So, <laughs> I'm glad to know people here. All right. So, here, here is a guy that I used to draw when I was a kid. His name is Brandon. Um, he will have a similarity to a certain character that you saw in the comic books when I was a kid. I don't know if you can tell that. But here's his little coat. It'd go down like this because... All my characters are triangle in form. Here is his little thing, and here is his legs right here. And then he had these cool tennis shoes. And y'all might not remember these tennis shoes, but they used to have little designs like this, and this side this, and then he had another pair. And of course, the denim depends on how you look at it. Like that. So this is Brandon. Okay? Now, 
there are two places that you and I live from time to time. And, and the fact of the matter is that you and I either live in one or two of these places within our own self. But we should really live in both simultaneously. But oftentimes we cut them off. Okay? The first is in the brain. Uh, B, R, I, no. Okay? In the brain. Now, what's interesting about this is I was able to write that backwards, but got these two letters backwards. So on my side, they're correct. Maybe not. Okay. All right. Brain. So this is where your cognitive skills happen. This is where, where you think through things. This is where you come up with like, like factual sort of decisions. For instance, um, if you go to the doctor and he says, what is your pain level from 1 to 10? And you say an 8, that comes from your brain, right? You're, you're analyzing how you feel, the pain there, and you're saying 8. If you decide that you're against something, like in your mind, I'm against that, that does not seem true. That, that comes from the brain side of things. If you're doing multiple choice tests in school, A, B, C, or D, that's a cognitive sort, sort of thing. So there's a certain sense in which brain and your cognitive function, we live in this arena. But there's another place that we live, and it is found right here. And it's the heart. Oh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Obviously, my cognitive function is weaker than my heart function. But nonetheless, there's, there's heart. In scripture, this part of your being right here is called splanklon or splanklon. So put that up on the screen, splank. Nine. Say that to your neighbor. Splank nine. Splank nine. And it's the heart. So when we live there, we say phrases like this. I hate them with all my heart. I love them with all my I knew this was wrong because I felt it in my our guts. Right? I felt it in my gut. Like I felt something was wrong in my gut. So in America, we kind of say heart, really, if we're honest. Heart is like when we love people, and I felt that in my heart. That's when it, but when, man, I knew that in my gut, I just knew something was wrong. There might not have been any cognitive ability that happened in that. You may have just felt it. You didn't know why you felt it, but you just knew it. Um, the people that are really good at this are moms with children. They're really good at this. They can feel that something is wrong with their kids, and they might be two and a half hours away, but they feel something is not right, and they, they check up. Guys, we, we do the same thing. It's just not as strong as what the ladies have. The ladies have something that's a bit stronger. Oftentimes, we think that there might be something wrong. Um, we are more connected as guys with our daughters than maybe our sons. 
um, I, I'm really connected with Aurora, and I can sometimes sense when she's not, there's something just not right, and I can feel it in my gut. I have no reason to think of that, but I feel it in my gut, and when I call her on the phone, chances are there's something that's happened that she, you know, is going through, and, and we talk it through. Is everybody tracking? Sometimes guys feel like that um, in their gut that, uh, there's something about to happen that's not good, and I need to go pro- protect my daughter, my son. Are you tracking with me, guys? Whereas mom often has this thing like, I think she's sick. I think she's this. I think she's that. I think there's something going on. Uh, they can feel it with their kids. It, it really doesn't often connect to this. They, they feel it in their heart. Um, in Scripture, however, it seems that God wants us to connect this one with this one and live in both of these arenas at the same time. It is very dangerous to always live in your splanktonon, right? It's, it's very dangerous because sometimes you feel something that isn't true and you can make it true by just feeling it to be true. In other words, you feel something has happened and then you voice it with your mouth and then all of a sudden you created an environment that wouldn't have existed if you had just done a little bit of, come on church, you know, think before, but sometimes our heart does this, right? Some of us live in the brain function and we have no heart, so we know something's wrong and there's another person involved over here, right? And so we're thinking about it and instead of letting it go like this through our mouth, we go like this. And we say the truth, but in the wrong way. Or we say the truth at the wrong time. Or we say the truth without actually feeling about it before it goes through to the other person. So in scripture, we have this brain cognitive function, and then we have this heart function where we feel something in our gut. And both of these are supposed to be connected together in order for us to be who we're supposed to be. So with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. <clears throat> Bless you. John chapter 3, verse 16. And this is what it says. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother is in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So sees a need, but closes his splanchthenon against him, is what it says. Um, How does God's love abide in him? Now, who in here has a King James Bible? You got a King James? Great, awesome. And, oh my goodness. 
you're young. You're not even 40, are you? You need sight, dude. I used to think that my eyes would be great, although I've been blind my entire life. But then, um, yeah, just wait. 40's coming. I'm just trying to give you no hope. I still can't see this. Oh, here we go. Verse 17. This is what the King James says. But who hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels? Okay, do you hear that? Shutteth up his bowels. Doesn't that sound like something you should do? I read this and wonder, is that really a bad thing to do? It might help people out, shut up of his bowels against him. Yeah. But, but it, is, it is what moves you. It, it's what moves you on the inside, right? When the, when the people talked about this heart thing, we're talking about not literally the heart, not literally the bowels, not literally the guts, but what moves you right here. Because sometimes what moves you right here is different than what moves you right here, Right? And so this passage of scripture, when it says um, in verse 8, 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, closes it, closes his bowels, closes his feeling uh, against that brother, does not allow himself to be compassionate toward that brother that's in need. How does God's love abide in him? That's a great question. It's a great question. If you and I really love our other brothers and sisters in Christ, we see a need, and then we close our heart against that brother or sister that has that need, the love of God is not allowed to flow from him through our heart, out of our mouth, into what we do for that person. You and I can close out the compassion of God that he wants to demonstrate toward other people by closing our hearts to people, by being hard against people, by not being compassionate toward people. We can do that. Now, this is a great, great kind of concept as we enter into the holiday season. Now, I I joke with you a lot, and I want you to know I'm, I'm really joking. I don't care if you're playing Christmas music or not. I have better things to do, right? I, I, if you're playing Thanksgiving music, that's, that's fine with me too. So it's, don't get caught up with that. I play Thanksgiving music in my house. There's a strategic reason for why I do that. The reason that I do that is because going into the, um, the Christmas season, I want my children to be thankful before they get something, okay? You may be totally different. I have a strategy because that's how I'm wired. So, for instance, when we go into the holiday season and and on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we go see the lights at um, Tanglewood. We do it every year. The top goes down on the car. Kids are sitting in the back seat, even as bigger kids. We enjoy that moment. We turn the heat all the way up, right? And, and we just watch it. And as we're driving the little convertible through Tanglewood, there is Thanksgiving music blasting in our car. 
As crazy as that sounds, I want my kids to grow up one day and say, Dad always played Thanksgiving music when we went to see the lights, the Christmas lights at Thanksgiving. I want them to say that. I want them to say that as we decorated our tree on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we didn't play Christmas music in the house. We played Thanksgiving music. Because we should never lose sight that the gifts that we're about to get at Christmas, that we should be thankful for them and not approach Christmas as if we deserve those gifts. As if somehow or another, those gifts are what we need and it fulfills a need for us. And then it becomes all about us and all about the gifts we're going to get instead of being thankful for the blessings that other people have bestowed upon us and the blessings of the Christmas season. Two totally different viewpoints. Here's what I know. There are people, a percentage, you might be in the good percentage of what I'm about to say. I'm just, I'm just throwing this out. There are people that decorate early for Christmas and listen to Christmas music early because they're excited about what they are going to get on December 25th. That's why they do it. They're, decided, they're excited about the gift-giving season. They're excited about getting the gifts that they're about to get. That's why they do it. Not everybody does that. Not everybody. But there's a certain amount of people that do. We need to make sure that as Christians, that when we enter into the, in the Christmas season, that we don't go into it about what I am going to get as a present. Christmas means so much more than what you are about to get on the 25th. It's so much more. And actually, Christmas time should be the most thankful time that we have in the year. Thankful for Christ's birth. Thankful for the things that he has given us. Thankful that we are celebrating that birthday. Thankful that Jesus Christ had compassion toward the human race so much that he came and he dwelt among us in the flesh. That's the focus. It's not the gifts up underneath the tree. It's not you getting the new Apple Watch, you getting the new Game Center, you getting whatever you're about to get. It's something different. So approaching that, you need to make sure that you approach it with a thankful heart. We live in a narcissistic society. Everybody is just thinking about themselves. Do you know where that word nar narcissistic came from? It came from a Greek god called Narcissus. Nobody knew that. Great, awesome. This would be a great story for it. Narcissus was a, a, a demigod in the Greek thing that he actually battled with, with an army. And he was a beautiful man. I don't know how you can have a beautiful man. Fabio, I guess. You have Fabio, I guess. He, you know, you know Fabio. I guess he was doing that the whole time. He had a sword. You know, kind of deal. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful man. The story goes that, that um, Narciss, he couldn't find anybody that he would marry or fall in love with because nobody was as beautiful as he was, which is a problem, okay? If a guy's thinking that way, that's a problem, right? Be yeah, well, handsome, not beautiful. I'm old school, handsome, not beautiful. That's just the way we roll, Okay? So he, he couldn't find anybody. Well, one day he was, part of the story doesn't make much sense, but it does. He was walking by this pond and he saw 
um, something in the pond that he thought was just absolutely gorgeous, and he fell into the water and drowned. He basically drowned in his own image. Now, you might not be familiar with that story, but I guarantee you, you're familiar with drowning in your own image. Right? You're familiar with that. We live in a culture where we have, and I'm not against this. I mean, I, I use this stuff, so you need to know that. But we have Facebook, and we try different poses for pictures on Instagram and Facebook and all these things to make ourselves look good. And if we don't like the picture that it's about to be posted, we erase that picture and make sure that that picture looks good before we post it. We want certain things to happen. We want people to like those photos. We know that people are going to look at those photos. And that's all a narcissistic idea. It's about us. It's about our image. It's about who we are. And we want people to like us for what we are doing, for what we are posting, for what we are saying. We want people to like that. There's a certain amount of people that live on Facebook, that live on all these social media stuff, that really the only reason that they do it is because they want other people to see them doing these things. They want to create an image that people like so that they feel like that they are liked. Wow, y'all are really quiet. That's narcissism. That's drowning yourself in your own image. And I'll tell you, it is easy to fall into that. If you open up Facebook and the first thing that you do is go to your notifications to see who has liked your images, you might be self-absorbed. If the first thing you do is go there and see how many likes you have and you feel good about a picture or, or something you posted or not as good about what you posted because how many likes you had compared to the other likes that you had and, and you go through this whole system, you might be self-absorbed. And you might be the person that's decorating for Christmas because you're going to get something. Come on, church. We have to be careful of falling into the sin of self-absorption, where we are the center of the universe and everybody else around us is supposed to be helping us, liking us, listening to us, being with us. God has a different scenario for people that have come to know him as their personal savior. God wants you not to think about yourself, but think about others. In other words, he doesn't want your compassion to be self-focused. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about my picture. It's all about this. It's all about my image. God wants you to focus on other people and see what their needs are in order to take the steps to help them with their needs. That's what he wants you to do. He wants his compassion to throw, flow through your brain, to your heart, and in, out into your actions toward other people. That is what he wants. And the moment that you close your heart is the moment that you become self-absorbed and you start doing things for yourself and not for others. I would submit to you this morning that this is one of the reasons that people have marriage problems. I would submit to you this morning, this is one of the reasons people have family problems, issues with their kids. 
I will submit to you this morning, this is why some people have relational problems. Because the people that we're interacting with do not think that we're as great as we think we are. Right? So we have a problem with these people. How dare they not think that I'm as good as... Right, Derek? How, how dare they not think of me as just a great guy? Right, Derek? Right? I just can't believe some of these people. Some of these people, I post this stuff on Facebook and nobody seems to like the stuff that I want them to like. You know? Nobody seems to walk up to me when I walk into a store. I mean, I need to feel important. I have my bag of barbecue potato chips already. Because I am all that. So the heart. So as we, as we think about this, I want to go to Jesus. I want to make some comments about Jesus. So go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 40. And this is what it says. And a leper came to him, that's Jesus, imploring him, that means begging him, and kneeling, and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity. I just want you to, if your translation is pity, pity is not really the best word there that, that, for that. He was moved with compassion. One of the translations says that he was deeply moved by this guy that was wanting to be healed of his leprosy. He was just moved with care and concern. The reason pity is not a great word there is because pity has the sense of that I'm looking down on someone. I, I pity their state. I'm not in their state, so I'm looking down on their condition. Christ didn't look down at this man's condition. His heart was moved with compassion toward him. He wanted to help him. Verse 41, and moved with compassion or deeply moved. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, be clean. So he was moved with compassion. You and I have to view people not in the sense that their condition is less than we are, or they're on a lesser scale or a lesser level than we are. We have to view people as if we're on the same level, and we see that they're going through something, and we begin to empathize with them. We begin to have compassion toward them so that we can really help them out. Compassion is when you and I decide not to put ourselves in their position, but when we start to think about how that person is actually seeing and feeling and being in that particular bad situation. Are, are, do you know the difference? Do you understand the difference there? Um, I know sometimes you, you hear people saying they, they have good intentions. Well, if I was in their position, I would want. No, that's narcissism. See, the way I react to something is different than the way you will react to something. 
what I have to do in order to have compassion is try to, feel like, try to figure out what Dennis is thinking about the current situation, how he is viewing it, and then I can really start having compassion because he sees things differently than I see them. Everybody in this room has their own way that they view the world, own way that they view the world. And in order to have real compassion towards someone, you can't look down on them. You have to come down and say, okay, I view this this way. They are viewing it this way. What is causing them to view their condition the way that they view it? And you think it through. You pray through it. And to the best of your ability, you try to see things the way that they see it. Jesus has no problem with this because he's So this guy's begging him, and instantly Jesus knows how he feels, what he's struggling with, and he shows compassion toward this person, and he heals him. The only way you can really help someone effectively is if you try to figure out how they are thinking about a particular situation. And in order to do that, you can't be all about yourself, right? You can't can't be just narcissistic in your thinking. You have to think with your brain, your heart, and them and try to figure out how they view the particular situation, and then you go from there. Now, look at um, Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Chapter 6, verse 34. Again, here's Jesus. It says this. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. He had compassion uh, on them, so he began to teach them. If you notice here, he didn't have compassion because of their sickness in this particular scripture. He didn't have compassion because they had walked so far to get to him. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep that were scattered and they didn't know where they were going. If you and I would just take a moment to step down a little bit from the Christian high horse and watch the news in such a way that we are watching people that are scattered that don't know what they're doing because they are without Christ. Right? If we just take a few moments to to look at them and say, of course they're they're lost. Of course they're doing this stuff. Of course they're doing that. They need Christ, and we have the message that they need in order to see the world correctly. They're scattered. They're like sheep without a shepherd. You have neighbors that are like sheep without a shepherd. They're scattered. They're lost. They do not know Christ, so they do things. You might not um, really like what they're doing next door to your house, but they're going to do that until they find Christ and meaning they're like sheep that are scattered. Jesus looked at people because they were valuable enough for him to gather them into his fold. He had compassion for them enough to where he would take the time to teach them the way that they should go. 
He taught them about the kingdom. He taught them about interacting with each other. He taught them about forgiveness. He taught to them about the power of God. He taught to them about his, his father and, and what his father was doing to redeem the world. He talked to these people about this because that is what people that are scattered need to know. They need to know. So you, when you step down and you quit being self-focused and you start looking at things in, in a light of how can I minister to people and help people, you begin to see that people, a lot of people are just scattered. They just really need, first of all, Jesus Christ in their life. And they do not understand what that means. They don't understand what that means. In fact, if you started your talk with them that way, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. I, how can a guy that was two, lived 2,000 years ago help me at all? The answer to that question is he's living right now. He's in my heart. You explain things to him. You have to figure out how to explain it to him so that they will accept the message that you are giving to them. That is witnessing. That is witnessing. When you look beyond yourself and you think, these people are lost. And if I don't give them the message of Christmas, nobody will. If I don't give them the message of Christmas, they are definitely going to go to hell. But if I give them the message of Christmas, there's a certain amount of them that are going to say, hey, I want to start a relationship with him and for him to be my savior. I would rather have under my tree this Christmas notes from people that say they have received Christ than anything else you could put under that tree. That's what I would love to have under my tree. And that is the focus that you have to walk into this season. This season will either captivate you here. Oh my goodness, how are we going to pay for this stuff? And oh, visa, visa. Visa! Right, right? It's either going to be that or it's going to be here. What am I? Oh, what? I hope, I hope that was the right gift to give them because I, I really want them to appreciate it um, because I gave it to them. Right? Or it's, wait a minute, this Christmas is about Jesus. What can I do to give that message to people around me? I have relatives that need it. They've heard it. I have relatives that need it. What am I going to do? Do I buy them a gift that helps them along the way? It doesn't have to be a Bible, okay? It could be something that they really like, but that's a doorway into maybe a conversation. But nonetheless, you have compassion for the people around you at the holidays. That is what Jesus would do. Sheep are scattered. And they need to be drawn in to the kingdom of God. And to his church and to his kingdom. That is what they need. So, let's continue. Okay? Look at verses 30 through 34. Let's see if I can find that. Yeah. 30 through 34. 
So the apostles returned to Jesus and told them that all, the, all they had done and thought. And he said to them, no, that isn't it. Okay, here we go, 35. And when it drew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Now, we all know that he fed all these people with five loaves and two fish, and we know that he broke it and he fed them. That is not the point. The point here is that here's a group of people that were hungry, and they wanted, the apostles wanted to send them away, to send them home, so they didn't have to deal with it. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. You feed them. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, if you see a brother or sister that is in need and you have the means to help that brother and sister, you should help them. As Christians, we don't send people somewhere else so that they can get help. We are responsible to help them if they have a need, like food, right? Now, when I say that, I want to follow it up with, with this verse of Scripture that's found in John chapter 6, verse 26, and it says this. This is after he's fed 5,000. It's the very next day. And they come back hungry. And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, I fed you yesterday, but this isn't a welfare program. I fed you yesterday and met your need yesterday, between yesterday and today, you should have brought food with you. You know the day. So whereas, yes, we do help brothers and sisters in Christ with food and stuff when they need it, there is a sense in which you do not do that a long period of time or those people become dependent upon you and their relationship becomes attached to you just because you're feeding them and it's nothing else. So even in Jesus' compassion... He says, I'm not going to feed you today, which, by the way, is a very compassionate thing to say to some people. Very compassionate. Um, recently, I overheard a conversation, and this person was talking to this other person, and this person said, get a job. Get a job. And at least you'll have some money coming in. I want to submit to you this morning that sometimes the compassionate thing to say is get a job. Instead of pursuing people to give you a handout, don't do that anymore. Use that stuff to get your feet solid to where you can step out and get a job to provide for your needs. God doesn't expect you and I to support people that will not try to support themselves. In fact, if you support people that aren't trying to support themselves, you're enabling them to stay in a state 
That is horrible. Where they're dependent upon you, they're dependent upon others, they're dependent upon government. And I don't know about you, it is not narcissistic to say, I am providing for my family. That is compassion. That is what I am supposed to do. That is what parents are supposed to do. We are supposed to provide for our family. If you continue to give, 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 people become dependent, and then they're no longer, okay, is this okay? They're no longer, you know, self-sufficient. They're no longer people because we've, we've got to where we, we just depend on everybody to help us and we just kind of sit and we wait for the next handout. And I want to submit to you this morning that that is exactly the position Satan wants people in. If he can get them down enough, to where they do not feel good about themselves enough to go out and get a job and support for their family. He's got them exactly where they want them. He wants them, and he grabs them. He grabs them. So Jesus says, sometimes the compassionate thing to say is, I'm not feeding you today. you got to go to the market and buy your own bread and your own fish. All right, so Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. By the way, that is, that is a very tough thing to do, but we're going to jump into Colossians 3, verses 12 through 13. It says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, hearts that are deeply moved, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That's why I say pity isn't what you put on. It's compassion. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I'm going to close with this. Jesus, right before he went into Jerusalem for the last time, looked upon that city and had compassion on that city. Had compassion. I think this is interesting because when Jesus was walking toward that city, he knew what they were about to do to him. Right? He knew that by midweek, it was going to be all on. He was going to be whipped, beaten, have to try to carry a cross up a hill. He knew the pain that he was about to go through. And he had compassion on that city and went into that city anyway. I don't know about you, but I kind of steer clear of places that I know will hurt me. Right? Right? There's some places in Winston I don't go at night. It's not because I'm racist. It's because I like my life. Right? It's just that, that's, that's just the fact of it. I wouldn't go somewhere knowing that I was going to be hurt and just hang out there, let them hurt me, and, you know, hope that I would see Sunday. Wouldn't do that. But Jesus had compassion on the very people that were going to cause him harm. Here's the point. 
it is easy for me to have compassion on people in this room. It really is. There isn't a one of you I don't like. In fact, I would have to even go just far enough to say, I even like you. <laughs> I do. There isn't a person in here I don't like. There is, there isn't, I don't, I don't feel like I have an enemy in this whole room. I, I just feel that way. I mean, I, I think it, I feel it, comes through my mouth. I just love everybody. It's easy for me to do stuff for people in this room. Very, very easy. If you're in need, oh man, my heart goes out to you. I can feel compassion and it's there. It's the people that scare me I have a problem having compassion with. It's the people on the east side of Winston that I have problems with having compassion for. It's the people that could damage me that, that I have problems having compassion for. Here is Jesus Christ having compassion on the people that will hurt him. And at the end of the day, I have to work on that in my heart. Not that I'm going to go there at night, because I'm not dumb. But to have compassion on people that aren't like me, that live different than me, that are far, 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 far from God in my perception, but still have compassion enough to say, I still love them and would really love for them to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. One of mine recently received the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And it's Kanye. See, I pray for some people in Hollywood. Um, I can't listen to Kanye's music. I can listen to his new album, but not his music. But I've always kind of liked the guy. He's weird, out there, but I pray for him. I pray for other people, like the girl. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Kanye. He's received the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. I know that there's people that say, well, did he really receive the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior? I could care less. He's making a profession. He made an album. And recently, this week, he went to a prison and gave that prison a concert and gave Jesus Christ glory. So if you're going to complain about Kanye West or East receiving Jesus Christ as his Savior... I want to see you in Davie County Prison singing for Jesus this week. That's what I want to see you do. If you're going to have the guts to do all that, I want you to do it. What I'm trying to tell you is we need to have compassion toward the Kanye's in the world because they could eventually receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and do great things for the kingdom of God. Just because somebody is living a lifestyle where it's damaging, they're into drugs, they're into all kinds of stuff that we think are just absolutely horrible, does not mean that the grace of God can't shine through to their soul and save them from that. And then in turn, they begin to lead other people to Jesus through their lifestyle change and through what they say. So my compassion is not only, and your compassion is not only for the people in this room and Christians, it also has to be for all the lost people in the world. For God had compassion on the entire world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. So this season, have compassion toward people. And don't have compassion for yourself. 
look to others and have compassion for them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We're